Sometimes it's better that I don't send you the topics, like the first topic in the T section of episode number 41. Happy National Hamburger Day. That's today? That's today. Okay. The day that we're recording is National Hamburger Day. You didn't know that. I did not. All right. And I want to know where you are on hamburgers, cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. Where's Jason D? We've never had the hamburger conversation. Where are you? Do you like a good hamburger? Do you like a good cheeseburger? And where? Let's oh, let's go. Let's go through goodness. this a little bit about your your taste for a good hamburger. Yes. Let's start there. Yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a little shook up about this topic. <laughs> why, why are you? There shook? was a lot of things that you probably could have started with. And, yeah. And. National Hamburger Day and my view of hamburgers was probably not one of the ones I would have chosen. If you were going to guess what I was going to start with, what would you have what would you have guessed? If if somebody said to you on your way over here, mm-hmm. we will give you a million dollars. You get one shot. Yep. Guess what Mitch is going to say first. Mm-hmm. Now obviously you would have lost because mm-hmm. you would not have gone on National Hamburger Day. No. What would you have said? I would have probably started out with something that happened over the weekend with either a tournament or an interaction. But you had to go more specific. Yeah, I would have thought it would have been a story about baseball, uh, something that happened at at a tournament that you thought was either unbelievable. Oh, you mean like a, like a, like his tournament? Oh, really? Oh no, I don't have that. Yeah. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's what I would have. Yeah. That's why I don't have a million dollars. Let's get back to hamburgers. Sure. Where are you on hamburgers? I'm a fan. Okay. Do you like a hamburger or cheeseburger? Uh, I would take it one step further and say bacon cheese. Bacon cheese. Yeah. Tell me what's on. You get one burger for the next month. Tell me what's on it. Bacon, cheese. What else? The fixins. What what what's on? I want to know what Jason what D. Hamilton. What are we talking about? I just want to know. This is ridiculous. I'm curious. Uh, yeah. Bacon, cheese, lettuce, tomato. Okay. You and your family are driving back from Portland. You and your son. Mm-hmm. And I won't even say your family. You yep. and your son are driving back from Portland from an AAU basketball, and you decide you're going to stop. You're going to get off the road and go to a fast food restaurant, mm-hmm. and you're going to get yourself a burger, and you're going to get him a burger. Mm-hmm. Where are you stopping? A, that would never happen. Really? Because he doesn't eat hamburgers. But B... Your son doesn't eat no. hamburgers. He would eat chicken tenders, but he would not eat a hamburger. Okay. So... Okay. That's A. Yeah. But B, if I was somewhere where he could get what he wanted and I get what I wanted, where yeah. would we stop? Yeah. I don't even know how to answer that because I I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. No. You would never stop. No. If somebody gets hungry on a ride, what if it's a five hour ride? Or right. A six hour ride. Right. A seven hour ride. But it wouldn't be for a hamburger. Okay, where would it be then? Go ahead. Let's let's segue to that. It doesn't, we're not restricted. To hamburgers on National Hamburger Day. I feel like you're th- pressuring me. <laughs> I am. I want to know before yeah, we start. You're trying to take me somewhere, and I'm not going there. Okay, just tell me where you'd stop. I would stop at Taco Time. Taco Time. I would stop at Taco Time. All right. I, I might stop at- uh, Subway? Jimmy John's? Nope, would never do that. Never Jimmy John's, never Subway. We don't really stop at fast food very often. Okay. And if we do, it's somewhere where he could get- Chicken tenders. So chicken tenders. Well, you can get chicken tenders at all these places. Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. But I don't know that there's a Chick Fil A on the way from Portland to uh, to Seattle. Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah. Where is it? There's one in South Center. <laughs> there's one in South Center. 
All right, federal I'm way. I'm done. What was that about? You were trying to, you know, you were trying to get me to go. Honestly, say something. I, no, I wasn't. Okay, I well, just wanted to talk about National Hamburger Day. I happen to like a hamburger, cheeseburger. I love a hamburger. I never order. I never get a ham. I haven't gotten a hamburger or cheeseburger in a restaurant. I don't know when. Now last. that is not true for me. I will order a hamburger at Daniel's. Oh. Yeah, I will order a hamburger at a restaurant that provides quality beef. Well, you're and, then you're a hamburger snob, is what you're well, really saying. I, I, yeah, yeah, you're a hamburger snob. Yeah. That's not if, why I don't get a hamburger. I'm gonna, if I'm gonna eat a hamburger, it's one that I made at home on the grill, okay, or somewhere that has, look at you that has a quality hamburger bun, like the real deal. Not not a to me to me, yeah, not a fast food place. Okay. And quite honestly, not even a casual dining place. No. No burgers unless it's Daniel's or you've made it at home. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm wondering if you eat when you're on the road. I mean, you're, you're on the road all the time. Yeah. Every time I hear you on the phone, you're on the road. You're yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering whether you, I hope you, you, you nourish, you, you get nourished. I do. Right? Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure. All right. I thought episode 39 39p 38p was the most bizarre kind of random things that we've done it's national hamburger day that's all there's nothing really to to, don't don't try to overanalyze it it's national hamburger day and i was wondering when i saw there was national hamburger day the first thing that came into my mind was i wonder if jason d hamilton likes a nice burger and if he does i do where he gets it i do but i'm finding out you're a snob you're a hamburger snob you won't order it you won't go get a red robin hamburger i probably had a red robin hamburger once in the last five years okay it's Mm got to be at home or at daniel's yeah. Lindsay Schwartz is going to be thrilled to hear yeah. this. I'm not saying sure. suggesting this is bad. Or another, he's going to be thrilled another, to hear this, which he won't hear because he doesn't listen to. Or the another high, I don't want to say high end, but another place that I would consider has quality beef, yeah, quality bun, yeah, high quality food. Ever been to Lunchbox Laboratory? No. Okay. All right. I, I okay. I got it. I I think I got the picture mm-hmm. of you and burgers. You and burgers. When it happens, it's got to be. Legit. Legit. It's got to be genuine, mm-hmm. right? You and burgers. Yeah. I got it out of you, see? I would have never known this if it weren't for National Hamburger Day. Holy good God. <laughs> Before we get to the lineup for episode oh. 41, subscribe, listen, and rate. If you're not getting notifications, you'll get them, maybe. Uh, I would say subscribe, unsubscribe, and then subscribe again. Maybe that works. I don't know. If you enjoy our podcast, make certain that you listen uh, and you, at the very least, click on all the episodes. All the episodes. There's now been 41 of these things. We've only talked about hamburgers on one of them. Mm-hmm. And so we want you to click on all 41 episodes. Just click play, and it helps us out. We do two full-time shows per week, but one of them is only available to patrons on the Patreon site to become a patron uh, for as little as $5 a month. For that second show, go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on the Become a Patron. Uh, Reaction from 40P. I normally give you some reaction from 40P. Last week's second show, it seems like two topics really stole the show. Which were? Ben Wright. Mm. People liked Ben Wright. How could you not? And his story about Dustin Johnson. (laughs) That's just a terrible line. (laughs) 
That is just a cold-blooded Gretzky line right there. Jeez. Uh, and uh, people liked the story about my father and the camcorder. How could they not? It's true. And my, my sister-in-law, my now sister-in-law, yeah. who was scarred for life oh. when he made the family sit down and watch those videos. And there he was in the mirror. Uh, guests on episode number 41 as we start here. Steve Phillips on the death and awful treatment of Bill Buckner, who died over the weekend at age 69. Greg Amon of The Athletic in Tampa on Gerald McCoy. I'm all in, by the way. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. I'm all in on McCoy for the Seahawks if we could arrange it. Uh, and with Memorial Day weekend in the books, I thought it'd be nice to revisit the life of Pat Tillman with a man who covered him in Phoenix when he made that incredible decision to leave the NFL to fight for our country. Mm -hmm. Darren Urban in Phoenix will be a guest on episode 41. Episode 41 is brought to you by Zeke's Pizza. How about the NBA Finals, Golden State versus Toronto on TV in your family room with a cherry bomb pizza and some craft beer? Zeke's Pizza delivers both literally and figuratively. Order online, Zeke'sPizza.com. Daniel's Broiler with four terrific locations for Father's Day. You could get a burger. Could. Could get a burger on Father's Day at Daniel's Broiler. That's a place where Jason D. Hamilton, the burger snob, would be willing mm -hmm. to get a burger, including the brand new Daniels at the Downtown Hyatt Regency, open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Still seats for our Mitch Unfiltered dinner on June 12th. We'll talk about that. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com to reserve your spots. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Lots of people put off looking into refinancing their home because it feels complicated and time-consuming. The problem is, in many cases, it's essentially free money. Jordan Flowers and his team are great at dumbing it down and not taking lots of time. Call Jordan and his staff at 425-250-3150. Are you ready? Episode 41? Starts now. Starts now. Unfiltered. Okay, I'm bringing in the fourth best player in Isaiah Stewart from La Lumiere and from Rochester, wherever he's from. Uh, here's my first real five-star spectacular recruit. So he checks right. that off the list. So what hadn't he done in a short time from either a coaching or recruiting situation? Because, frankly, there wasn't anybody that gave him the opportunity to check this box off. He checked off the last box. He'd already gotten the five-star in Isaiah Stewart, but now he gets the best player to come out of Washington State in a long time. He's on everybody. He's a McDonald's All-American. He's a top five or six. He's a five-star, one-and-done type of player from right here in Federal Way. Unfiltered. Drake thinks he's doing it in kind of a fun-loving way, but he's kind of using his celebrity. Those other idiots are, you know, they're not celebrities. So there's also there's a reprehensible element to that, too. But this is, there's yeah. something about Drake in his actions that say you know i'm drake so i can do whatever the hell i want to do it's not just yeah, it's not just that i'm sitting front row but i'm i'm the man i'm drake mitch is unfiltered have you seen the new mitch unfiltered merchandise store yes tell me your thoughts on the new Mitch Unfiltered merchandise store. A plethora of items. <laughs> 
and yes. good photography to boot. You like the yeah, you, yeah. you like yeah, it. It's, a, it's, a, very, it's, it's yeah. nice, yeah. right? People have been asking, "What about Mitch Merch? Yep. What about Mitch Merch? What about?" So here's what I did. I got a guy down in California. I got a guy. Mm-hmm. I got a guy in California, and he set up. He does this thing with Amazon. And I figured I don't want to be buying lots of inventory, have stuff in the garage, have stuff here, and committing to all kinds of inventory. I wanted to do it the simplest possible way. And he reached out via Twitter and then via email and said, I'll do it for you. Here's the way we're going to do it. I'll design some shirts and some sweatshirts and some coffee mugs and stuff. Really? And we'll just put it on kind of the Amazon website, the marketplace, Mm -hmm. right? And you don't have to worry about a thing. And you can mark it up if you want and take a little bit of action for each. And I said, no, 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 I don't want any money. I don't want any money out of this. Make it simple. Make it as inexpensive as possible from the Amazon perspective and let people go and buy a T-shirt or a mm-hmm. coffee mug or a pop socket. Sure. You, pop don't, socket. Need a, you don't need a pop I don't, socket. I don't, I don't utilize the pop socket. But you have a Mitch Unfiltered pop socket. Um, you can go and, and buy and do whatever you want to do. And I-, and I want people to know I'm not making a nickel, not a penny on any of this. This is just, hey, stuff, if you want to have it, I'd love for you to have Mitch Unfiltered merchandise. That would be fun for me, yeah. just knowing that people have it, and that's and that's. The well, case. there's two things. One, yeah. what I do utilize is the Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr. You've seen you that. I've taken a photo of that in my car. Yeah, but I never know whether that's a staged photo, that's a... Hey, let me show him that I kind of use it, and then I take it out of my car, and I never use it again. I don't know if it's legit. I don't know if it's legit as the Daniels burger. It's not as legit as the Jason D. Hamilton made burger mm-hmm. in the house. Okay. I don't know if it's ingenuine. So, first off, I don't care if you don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I don't care if you believe me. Let's just start there. And number two, uh. number two, which I think is the most appropriate thing for people to know, yeah, is while you're not taking, you're not marking it up, you're not taking a cut. I am. You just don't. <laughs> I, I'm taking two off of everything, and so folks, buy it all. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <sighs> jokes, people. Jokes. Oh gosh. Did you watch, by the way, the All in the Family no. and the Jefferson remake? No. I did not. Did you did you just choose not to or did you forget or were you not intrigued? I, I'm trying to get you're a, you're about 10 years younger than me, mm-hmm. is that right? So I don't know that all in the family and the Jeffersons seven. meet seven seven what? Years younger than me. Does it mean anything to you the Jeffersons and all, all in the family? You have any memory as a, as a kid watching the Jeffersons and all in the family yes. or not? Yeah. Yeah. But it's really not about them either one of those shows. I think I told you on the patron episode that right. I thought it was a dangerous thing to try to recreate those two iconic sitcoms. 10 or 12 million people watched. It was a big rating success, whatever, whatever that means. They're going to do them again. I'm sure they're going to start doing more of these things. Uh, I watched because they are right in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. I loved All in the Family. Yeah. The Jeffersons, I watched... I thought it was okay as a kid. I loved All in the Family. In fact... And I would be the exact opposite, but sure. Well, okay. Um, In fact, on a family trip to California in about 1977, I was like 10 years old, my family decided to go see All in the Family being recorded in front of a studio audience. Mm -hmm. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We all, the, all the Levies went to wherever this, wherever this studio was in, in Los Angeles, Hollywood, wherever yeah. it was. 
And we checked in, stood in line, checked in. And when we got to the front of the line, they told, they informed us that he, pointing at me, can't go in. Can't go in. I was that was I was about to say you were too young. They wouldn't let us. They wouldn't let me in. Even in the seventies, they've got some standards. (laughs) (laughs) They would not let me in. Yeah. And so too young. Too young. Yeah. And so. What happened was, instead of turning us away, I don't know how my mother, my father, I don't, I don't know how it ended up because I was 10. All I know is I ended up in like a backstage waiting room. During, they record two at a time, or they did, yeah. record two shows at a time. So my mother and my two brothers were in the audience for these two shows, and my father and I, because I couldn't be there by myself, because I wasn't allowed in the studio, yeah. we had to sit in like a backstage room watching a monitor and watching All in the Family being recorded in front of a live in- studio audience. In- in- and I didn't know where the hell I was. And some guy says, I think I was upset. I think I think I may have been upset because they were telling me I couldn't sure. go in. And some guy says, keep your eyes open. Get a pen and a piece of paper and keep your eyes open at the end of the shows. Because I was kind of backstage. Sure. And so the shows end, and I'm, I remember walking out with my father into kind of an, an aisle or a hallway backstage, and all the actors start coming, coming by. And I start asking for autographs. Carol O'Connor signs an autograph. Really? Gene Stapleton, Edith signs an autograph. One person, like, shooed me away. Like, get out of my face. Would have no, no time for me. And that was Meathead, Rob Reiner. Had no time for me. The other three signed a little ten-year-old sign. Rob Reiner had wanted Gone. no part of me. Just just walked right by. You know, like yeah. like get out of my way. He was tired of getting picked on by uh, by Archie <laughs> for the last two episodes that they were recording. So that experience obviously left an impression on me, and and that show has left an impression mm-hmm. on me. And 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 I'll go one step further because you're just gonna think that I'm making these things up, and I'm not making this up. On the same trip. We were on Melrose Avenue mm-hmm. in a in a record. The whole, all five of us, mm-hmm. three kids, my mom. We were in a record store, like on a Saturday night in Melrose or on a Friday. I don't know. Same trip, and we look over, and who was in one of the aisles looking at albums? You know, they don't have yeah, record stores sure. anymore. Albums was Sherman Hemsley, aka George, George Jefferson, Jefferson yeah. who at that moment was like. Huge. The, the number one TV star going. Mm-hmm. Standing there in a cap with like his with like his uh collar up, yeah. looking through albums by himself. And my again, my father says, Go go ask him for his autograph. Say Mr. Jefferson. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> ask, Jefferson. ask him for his autograph. So I'm like scared to do it. And finally I get up enough courage. Mm-hmm. I walk right over in this record store on Melrose. Right up to George Jefferson, mm-hmm. Sherman Hemsley. Yep. And I said, I probably said, Mr. Jefferson, can I have? And shh, shh, shh. No, not now, not now. Shh, shh. He's like shooing me away. Shh, shh. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, yeah. I went back and, my, and he's like looking around and that was it. And we left the, uh, and, and we left the record store. We went outside. We started walking away to our car or whatever. And it was kind of like Mean Joe Green. I heard, hey, kid, from down the street. I turn around, and there's George Jefferson. He said, come back here. Come back here. 
And so I come back, I walk back, and he writes me like a poem. Roses are red, violets are blue, some silly saying, and he signs it Sherman Hemsley. He says, I'm sorry about that, man. I just didn't want to didn't want to create anything in that store, man. I just didn't want he said, I just didn't want any attention or anything. I'm sorry yeah. he did that. And he he wrote me he wrote me a little poem. Sherman Hemsley wrote me, and I have it somewhere, wrote me a little poem at age 10. All the same trip to California. Okay. <laughs> what? You know, you know, you know no reaction? This, this is one of those things where, you know, a second ago when I talked about the, the Tumblr. Yeah. And you were like, I'm not really sure if you're using it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. you know, I don't really care. This thing I care about, but I'm not sure I believe you. As 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 just as every as specific as I just gave it to you, I didn't embellish a detail, not even a detail. Which one are we talking about? The All in the Family? Or no, the no, the All in the Family thing yeah. makes complete sense. I he was literally least... called me from down the street. Yeah, like the little the, you said the Mean Joe Green thing. Well, hey kid, yeah, catch. catch. Yeah, yeah. yeah hey, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. thanks, Mean Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I I'm telling you, we were fifty yards. And you no, ran- not 50 yards. We were probably 20 yards down the street when he came out of the record yeah. store and yelled to me to come back. And he explained that he didn't want to cause a scene yeah. in the record store. And he wrote me a poem on a green, like little, uh, like little business card on the mm-hmm. back of a business card. He wrote a little poem, and I have it somewhere. I'm going to look for it. I have it somewhere. You do somewhere. I have it. Yes, 10 years old, George Jefferson. That's my my brush with greatness. When I come back to record the next episode, <laughs> yes. you're gonna have this little green card. And I don't know. And, and, I, and I, then I, I gotta then, really look for and it. And then I'm gonna talk to Max, and Max is gonna say that he actually wrote this. <laughs> None of that ever happened. All right, episode 41, uh, naming rights. Charlie Furbush, Eldon Campbell, Eugene Robinson. Eldon Campbell are your local yokels. Okay. Eugene Robinson probably the best. Okay. 41. And then nationally, Dirk Nowitzki. He's pretty good. Some of the fans now heading for the exits. The Dallas Maverick fans starting to celebrate. Nowitzki left hand, raising it. And it's 103-92. And that should do it for the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks celebrating on the bench. Chalmers tied up. Turnover, Dallas ball. And the Mavericks will do it. Wes Unseld. Pretty good. Charlie Waters in the NFL. Eddie Matthews in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball, and the great Tom Terrific. Weaver is ready to work now to Don Baylor, and it's a high fly ball that should be playable. Nichols is moving over. Nichols is there. The ball game is over. Seaver has won 300. He has become the 17th man in the history of baseball to win 300 games. Tom Seaver were 41, 311 wins, 3,272 strikeouts, three Cy Young. So it comes down to... Dirk Nowitzki and Tom Seaver. That's what it comes down to. And we'll have to make a decision at the end. Where are you on Gerald McCoy? I know we talked a little bit about this on 40P. Yeah. Are you a yay, let's go get Gerald McCoy and bring him to Seattle and put him on the defensive line for the Seahawks? I'm in. I'm in. You know, we talked about this a little bit, which, you know, you said it's not my checkbook. I'm, I'm all in. I'm in for the price as long as you can get your, your roster filled out you can spend the money wisely it's not a record-breaking deal for a guy that's who's graded out terrifically for the for the bucks if it works it works i'm in for it you're in yeah 
they're saying 10, 11 million dollars. He was supposed to make something like 13 or 14 with the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you'll hear about it on this episode. We've got a guest from Tampa to talk about why he's not with Tampa, how much game he's got left. Is he 80% of what he once was? Is he 90% of mm-hmm. what he once was? I am totally I am more in on him than Ziggy. I'll just tell you that right oh, now. Okay. Yeah. Because Ziggy, I'm unsure Injured. about. Yeah. He's going to be I'm, on the field. Yeah. I'm unsure about on Ziggy. If if you told me, okay, Ziggy's going to be the old Ziggy and he's going to play 16 games, well then, you know, all bets are off. But I, I'm in on I'm in on Gerald McCoy next to Jaron Reed on the inside of the Seahawks defensive line. Ziggy on one side, Bobby Wagner in the middle behind. I think that this would be a really good fit. Whether the Seahawks are going to do this or not, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I get I get the feeling that there are so many teams involved. Like on the day that we're recording this, the Tuesday, he he was in Baltimore, the Ravens. Really, there's like eight or ten teams that are lined up. And that, to me, tells me that somebody's going to pay silly overpay. money. Yeah. Somebody's going to overpay. Yeah, of course. When there's eight or ten teams, somebody's going to pay him more than they should. And you know John Schneider and the Seahawks, whether they have the money or not, whether they have the, the, the cap room or not, mm-hmm. which they do, mm-hmm. they're just not going to overpay him. Mm-hmm. They're going to come to him in their mind, here's what we think he is deserving of at this point in his career. Here's what we're willing to do, and we're not willing to do more than that. And if somebody comes around, whether it's a Baltimore or a Cleveland or Cincinnati, and says, boom, here's much more than that, well, in, we're, in, out. In a, we're out. In a one-year deal or a multiple-year deal? Because i, I got to imagine, if you're him, so – his age, he's looking for a little bit more security plus the coin. Yeah. The guy, well, you'll listen yeah. to the guy in yeah. Tampa. The guy in Tampa thinks that maybe this is an opportunity for him to go prove that he's still a really good football player, do a one-year deal, and then sign another big deal one year from now. But I, I just want you to know I'm all in. Good. I'm all in on Gerald McCoy. Uh, Golden State versus Toronto. Tell me who's going to win and how many games. I'm uncertain. And and the reason I'm uncertain is I don't I don't I don't really know how healthy Kawhi is. He, really? Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, Kevin Durant. The Neither war- of us think he's going to play the whole series. Kevin Durant? Yeah. I I think the Warriors just haven't announced that he tore his Achilles or his his calf. I mean, I I, I said it the night that I was watching it, recording with you. The way that he turned around, that is a serious injury. They were saying, oh, it was a. A strain. Well, I don't think so. You what do they do gain? What do they accomplish by not disclosing the extent of the injury? Well, what does Toronto? I mean, it's a mind game. Okay, yeah. he's either going to play or he's not going to play. Once they line him up and they lace up their shoes and go out there and play, what does it matter whether they know he's not coming back or whether there's some uncertainty yeah, I don't of know. whether he's coming? I don't back. know if there's. Why not just say it? If there's he, a psychological edge to knowing that he's not going to play in any game, or you know. But the other thing too is Demarcus Cousins might be back in this series. So there's some there's some things about this series that I I'm I'm a little hesitant. You like this series? I do. Are you are you excited to watch this series? I am. Well the the Hamiltons when they're oh, get, yeah. getting the the burgers together, will they uh <laughs> That's not will they be watching yeah. will they be watching the NBA yes, finals? Yeah. Absolutely. So you got to give me a pick. I mean I know that it all depends upon who plays, right. who doesn't play. You got to give me a the pick. Fact, I mean you're my guy. The fact that Toronto has home court Yes, they do. I didn't know that until Max informed me of that. Home yeah. court yeah. makes it also a little bit more interesting. That being said, I don't know how you, you don't pick the Warriors. It's really hard for me not to pick the Warriors in six. The money is on Golden State regardless of who's playing or who's mm-hmm. not playing. They opened at minus 
275. That means if you wanted to pick the Golden State Warriors to win the series and bet on it in Vegas, you would have had to have bet $2.75 to win win $1 if they win it. Okay? And uh, on the flip side, if you wanted to bet on Toronto to win the series and you bet $1, you would get $2 and a quarter back for every $1 that you... Mm -hmm. That was the way it opened. Then a bunch of money came in on Golden State even at those odds. So they had to up the odds. So now, as of the time you and I are speaking, it's minus 300. You have to put $3 down to win $1. For every $3 you bet on Golden State, if they win the series, you get $1. So you get four back. So what's you're the three, plus of Toronto? You're three. The plus now went from 225 to 240. So for every dollar you put on the Toronto Raptors and they win it, you get $2.40. You get $3.40 back. Mm-hmm. Your dollar plus yeah. $2.40 more. So the, the money... It's clearly no one's buying Toronto's chances. Interesting. Even with the home court advantage, even with Kevin Durant, even with DeMarcus Cut, nobody is buying Toronto's chances to win a seven-game series in this NBA Finals. All right? Uh, And did you see, by the way, the guy, the real estate company that's offering the penthouse – the penthouse, the multi-million dollar penthouse to Kawhi. Yes, I did see that. To stay in Toronto and not leave yeah. as a free agent. Yes. Now, are you one that believes the longer they go in the NBA, like now- He's gone. You think he's leaving? Re- he's gone. If they win the NBA he's title gone. and he's the MVP, he's leaving. It's even better for him. I did what I came here to do. Yeah. You're going to love me regardless. Okay. I just want to, I won you a title. Yeah. I'm gone. If we lose in the finals, you love me because I got you to the finals. I'm gone. <laughs> so he's already decided. He's not staying You can there. take your penthouse and- He's not staying there. I don't believe he's staying there. On top of that, just to speak to Mr. Penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Penthouse. As a, as a person who ran a public relations company for a long time and fairly competent in that business, that is a complete PR move. Whether or not it's fulfilled is- we're talking about that. We're talking about, I mean, that's a brilliant PR stunt, but it's an absolute stunt. Well, do you believe that had, if he, if he does stay? Oh, that, of course that, he'll honor it because he has the ability to do that. Yeah. But, okay, so it's a PR stunt. Yeah, it's an absolute stunt. So you're PR saying stunt. it's not, he doesn't care about Kawhi Leonard. He cares no. about getting his name, yeah. his company. I didn't. I didn't put his company's name in the. No, you didn't. In the spiel because you, I don't even know who it yeah. is. But yeah. all the listings, the yeah. the five locations that he got to choose from. I mean, it attracted buyer. I mean, it was a, it's a genius move. I know we talked a lot about Jaden McDaniels in episode forty P. Mm. I want to save that topic for the final segment of this episode forty one. I want to revisit it for the people who weren't patrons and didn't hear it. Yeah. Okay. But before we end this segment. And we have three good guests, Steve Phillips, I'm doing this based on memory now, Steve Phillips, the guy in Tampa on Gerald McCoy, and the story of- Pat Tillman. About Pat Tillman since we just went through Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Before I gave last, last week at this time, even though we, did, we do Mondays and today's, you know, this is going to be a Wednesday release, uh, I did a, an athlete, do you remember who my athlete of the week was on episode 40? Can you recall, I gave my first ever Mitch Unfiltered Athlete of the Week out on episode 40. Uh, I think it was the high school runner. No, it was not the high school runner, but you're close. I don't re- it was a runner. I don't recall then. It was the jockeyless oh, that's horse right. That's right. at that's the Preakness. Right. That's right. He, he won my first ever 
athlete. Mitch unfiltered athlete. Well, I have a second. Okay. And I'm just telling you, oh my guy. I'm just telling you, this is this guy is. Well, I'll give you my honorable mention. Okay. Do you do you know Tom Gillis, the the Champions Tour player? Does that name mean anything mean anything to you? There's a Champions Tour guy, Tom. Do you know the story of Tom Gillis? No. Tom Gillis was playing at the Senior PGA Championship, one of yeah. like the 43 majors on on the weeks, uh, last, yeah, week. last week. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he came off the 18th on Friday, and he was nine over par. He looks up. He sees the cut line is six over, gets in his car, drives to the airport, gets on a flight back to the Detroit area where he lives, gets off the airplane, and there's a text message waiting for him when he gets off the plane. Your tea time tomorrow is 7.34. The cut line went from 6 to 9. No way. And he's in Detroit. Thought he missed the cut. The cut line went to 9 over. He made the cut. And he had to decide whether, okay, am I going back now? Am I getting on, on another Two plane rounds. to go? It was at Oak Hill or wherever in Rochester, somewhere in New York. And uh, he uh, he decided, you know what? I'm going on a boat. I'm going on the lake. I'm doing a barbecue with my family. I'm out. He didn't go back. He didn't go back. And that's why he did not win Mitch Unfiltered Athlete of the Week. Oh, man. So he missed his final two days because he thought he had missed the cut, and he actually had made the cut. All right, so he he's my honorable mention. Had he gone back, it would have been more of a decision. But really, there's no decision. Okay. Mitch Unfiltered Athlete of the Week is none other than Vasily Kamatsky. Who is Vasily Kamatsky? You know who Vasily Kamatsky is. I don't want to know who Vasily Kamatsky is. You are disgusted by this. So dumb. I'm telling you, I can't stop watching the video. The first ever, and I'm just going to say, anybody who is listening to Mitch Unfiltered right now, do yourself a favor if you've not seen the video. You've got to see the video. Uh, Vasily Kamatsky win the first ever international slapping contest so dumb i didn't say it was smart i didn't say it was right i'm just saying you gotta watch siberian farmer <laughs> vasily kamatsky win the slapping oh. it is the best video it is the funniest video maybe i shouldn't even be laughing at this video they literally have a face slapping competition this guy is unbelievable i saw the clip you haven't seen – you saw the clip that's been making the rounds. I've got a better clip for you, a better angle of this guy taking a slap to the kisser yeah. and then delivering one – it's like a one-slap knockout. I These was, guys are going down – are like being caught. They're going down. They're, 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 administer, they're, they're administering – smelling salts to these guys after one slap from Vasily Kamatsky. Let me tell you something. I was unmoved by this clip. I I was I watched it for about 20 seconds. It's a sensation. And he, then he I is just a, turned it off like, he, he is, is a so super, He's a superstar. He's an international <laughs> phenom. And he's now uh, the Mitch right. Unfiltered Athlete of the Week. Very and good. I'm just saying, find it. Yep. And you tell, I have now watched it. I was watching it yesterday again. I have now watched the video a hundred times. I cannot believe the video. Was that between games? The pages of Us Weekly? Oh. Or? <laughs> so nobody knows what that means. No, the patrons, the patrons, know, the patrons know exactly what that means. I'm telling you, I don't know what I'm more intrigued by. So the video shows him taking a slap 
from this competitor. So they stand, they stand at a table, like a podium. One stands on one side and the other stands yeah. on the other. Almost like arm wrestling. That's right. Yeah. And they each have bodyguards or body big people behind them to catch them in case they go to faint or go to fall down over a slap. And this guy, this mountain man of a human being, this Siberian farmer is standing there. And the first thing you see is the other guy wind up and just smack him across the kisser. Jason, from the angle you have not seen, it's unbelievable from the angle. He just almost laughs at him. Almost just like sticks his tongue. Like doesn't even wince. Doesn't even wince. Like his face goes, and then he's still standing. Like it doesn't even wince. And then with one giant paw to the kisser, he sends these guys like falling down. It's unbelievable. It's it's. It's unbelievable. Vasily Kamatsky. Okay. The Mitch Unfiltered Athlete of the Week. All right? right? Yeah. So we know the NBA Finals are here. Kawhi versus Steph. You've got the U.S. Open Golf, the British Open, Wimbledon. Before you know it, college football. The NFL's in mini camps and training camps are around the corner. If you're ever looking for a spot to have great pizza, a nice selection of craft beer, and a comfortable place to watch sports on television – Zeke's Pizza is now all over the Puget Sound area, and I've been enjoying many of the Zeke's Pizza locations. And you'd be supporting a very important partner of Mitch Unfiltered that has in part made this podcast experience possible. You hear me talk about the Zeke's Pizza hotline all the time. If you're home, not in the mood to go out, want some Northwest-style pizza, craft beer delivered to your door, Zeke'sPizza.com is a very easy option. No third-party delivery service. Zeke's Pizza representatives arrive at your door with the shoulder cooler for beer and the piping hot pizza. Thank you to Dan Black and the entire Zeke's Pizza family, which has been so good to me for so many years, including the six or seven months of Mitch Unfiltered. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, it's been busy in Major League Baseball over the Memorial Day weekend, and I wanted to get our next guest, our guy Steve Phillips, Sirius XM, fan house, former GM of the Mets on to talk about Bellinger and Yelich and all the things going on in Major League Baseball, Steve. But I want to start with the passing of Bill Buckner, 69 years old, over the Memorial Day weekend. I've always thought of him as one of the tragic figures in baseball history. For some reason, I I lump him in with Steve Bartman. I can't get Buckner and Bartman away from one another because those two guys, you know, hit something, hit a chord with me in my heart. W- what would you say about his passing and how he was treated after the infamous moment in 1986? Right. So I think that, that you know, and, I, and it struck me too because, you know, the idea of being remembered for your worst moment like, who wants that? Like, none of us want that. We wouldn't wish that on our worst enemy to be remembered for the worst moment in our life, our career, or whatever. I certainly don't in, in, with my life, and, and I would love to get a broader perspective on it. Uh, and yet, you know, there are some people who only remember him uh, for letting the ground ball go between his legs in Game 6 of the 1986 World Series against the New York Mets uh, that cost them that game. Uh, now, there was a Game 7, and, you know, and many people, and, and – have come around to it. Certainly Red Sox players have, have come around to the fact that, look, you know, we lost that as a team. It wasn't Bill Buckner losing that. We had a game seven. We could have gone out and won that. And we didn't do it. 
Uh, and so it's not just on one guy. But, you know, I, I'd rather look at how he handled it, right? I think you find out far more about somebody dealing with adversity than you do when something's going well for them. Uh, and the way that Bill Buckner handled it, uh, he kept his head up. Uh, he protected himself. He put up some boundaries to protect himself from some of the venom that was spewed by the media and the fans and, and people out there. Uh, but he kept on playing a 22-year career uh, and, uh, you know, and, and had, you know, what, five years or so after the 86 season where he kept on playing and trying to extend his career. Uh, and so, you know, I give a ton of credit for it. Uh, and I'd rather think highly of him uh, as to that moment in his life, as opposed to look down upon him. And, uh, and I think a lot of people do that know him and really respect him and, and got to know who he was as a person, and as a player. So many goats in that series. Now you were still playing. I just checked before we started to chat. You were still in the minor leagues, I think. Uh, playing in your baseball right. career, would uh, would Bob Stanley have beaten Mookie Wilson to the bag had Buckner come up with that play? Certainly Buckner at that age and with his physical health was not going to beat Wilson to the bag. I, I, I don't think you'd say he'd beat him to the bag, even if he comes up with that play smoothly. Also, the idea that the John McNamara, the Boston Red Sox manager, who might normally make a defensive substitution there, with the Red Sox up two going into the bottom half of the inning. Uh, you know, you can talk about that play until we're blue in the face, right? Oh, Mookie Wilson swears that it would have been a hit, that he was gonna he was gonna leg it out and beat Bob Stanley to the bag. And you know, it's interesting that that, you know, Mookie Wilson, uh, you know, nineteen eighty six I was I had played the minor league baseball the Mets. I was at University of Michigan and I remember being in my in a dorm actually at the time in and uh, hearing, you know, watching the game and hearing the cheers around the dormitory because of other people watching the game when that play happened. Uh, so I got, but I got to know Mookie well. He was one of my coaches in the Mets organization. Uh, he's a great Met, you know, uh, star and, and beloved by Mets fans. I was playing in the minor leagues with his brother John at the time. Bob Stanley ended up being a pitching coach in the Mets organization in the minor leagues for us and was a, a good friend uh, at the time. And Kevin Mitchell ended up coming around the score in that game was a former minor league teammate of mine. So I've got a lot of connections to, yeah. to that game in that moment. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that, that there's a good chance Mookie would have beaten it out and it would have been a base hit, even if Buckner had fielded it cleanly. Uh, we won't know. Now, the thing that's amazing to me is that Mookie Wilson and Bill Buckner formed a very close relationship uh, after all of that. And it's, you know, it's a bit like, you know, Ralph Brank, uh, you know, uh, who gave up the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson, they became good friends and sort of traveled around and, and did events together and signings together and respected each other. And, and uh, because, you know, Buckner was a guy, I talked to Jim Rice about him, uh, former teammate, Red Sox Hall of Famer. Jim Rice said, people don't understand. This guy wore high tops, right? He wore high tops because his ankles killed him. Right. He said this guy was in agony. He didn't say much, but all he did is show up and play. Every day he would grind it out. He said the number of times we had to wait for the team bus to go to the airport after a road trip uh, to start a road trip, he said, because Buckner was still getting his treatment after the game. What it took for him to take the field and grind it out is remarkable. And the other thing that is amazing, I mean, here's a guy that had over 10,000 plate appearances in his career. He only struck out 453 times in his career. He never struck out more than 39 times in a season. 39 times in a season. Right. And I saw this note tweeted out uh, from Tyler Kepner of the New York Times yeah. that on Sunday, the day that Bill Buckner passed away, 16 Major League players struck out three times in a game. 
he never did it in his entire 22-year Major League career. Never struck out three times in a game. 22 years. Remarkable. 22 years, a gold glove, a batting title. I had forgotten, I shouldn't have, because I've seen the highlight a million times, Vin Scully calling 715 of Hank Aaron. People will be surprised to know that Buckner was in left field when the ball sailed over the uh, the Fulton County Stadium left field wall for home run number 715. I think he even tried to climb the wall to make the catch uh, when right. the Dodgers yeah. yeah, when the Dodgers played the Braves. So just to think that he was in that game climbing the wall when Hank Aaron hit the famous the most famous home run in Major League Baseball history and then is also in the 1986 World Series when the Mets were, I mean just the the span of his career is something to behold, right? 2700 hits in his career, over 22 years. If you play for 22 years, not only are you a good player, you're a good teammate and a good guy and a good, you know, a good yeah. guy to have around. Yeah. And that's really what guys talk about. Just a quiet guy, went about his business, but battled, absolutely battled. Uh, I just, I, you know, I, I get amazed. Sometimes I go back and look at, at some websites, you know, look at baseball reference, look at some of the numbers that guys have put up in their career. And, and I'm shocked. And, and this isn't that long ago. I mean, he played until 1990, but the idea of, 450 walks and 453 strikeouts in a career uh, of 10,000 plate appearances. Like, I can't even fathom that in this day and age where, you know, we've got guys, you think about today's game, we've got Joey Gallo has close to 70 strikeouts already yeah. this year in the season. Yeah. He, he, he never struck out more than 39 times in a season. We're not even until June 1st we've got guys that, that, that are way over that number. I mean, think about the, the number of strikeouts, the number of, of – Swings and misses in today's game. Uh, and, and through play today, the number of players in Major League Baseball that have 39 strikeouts, that the most he ever had in a season, it's 127. 127 batters, as we speak, 127 batters have, have uh, 39 strikeouts or more already in the season. That's the most he ever had in a single season. It's, it's remarkable. Amazing. It's amazing. Before we get off of the subject of Bill Buckner passing away at the age of 69, over the weekend, over the Memorial Day weekend. You said you know Stanley, and I, I've never interviewed Bob Stanley. Uh, I've never heard him discuss that game, that play. It seems to me that he could have fallen on the sword a little bit and taken Buckner off the hook. I don't know, maybe you tell me he, he did that. Maybe he could have said, you know, Wilson would have beaten me to the bag, or my wild pitch, my wild pitch allowed the game-tying run to score just preceding the, the infamous play. Uh, to Buckner. Did he do that? Did he try to take his teammate a little bit off the hook? Yeah, Bob's a great guy. And, and you know, I'm sure that, that he would have easily acknowledged where he went wrong and, and was quick to acknowledge when we did talk about it that this was a team loss. That, that, that There's no way you put it on any one guy. He owned his own responsibilities in that. But, but there are others. I mean, you start looking at, at the course of every game. You look at the fact that it was only game six. I mean, a lot of people look at that and think, oh, geez, the Mets won the World Series there. No, it was just game six. Right. Then game seven got rained out, and then they had to wait a day to play, uh, and, you know, and they had to sit on that negativity for a whole other day. That had to be agonizing, absolutely agonizing. Uh, but I think that you know, so many of the players will speak to the fact that we didn't blame Bill Buckner. Like, we just went in, patted him on the back, said, all right, don't worry about it. Shake it off. We're going to go get him tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Like, like that's the nature of ball players. But the fans, you know, and Buckner, when he went back, I think in 2008, he went back and threw out the first pitch at, yeah. at Fenway. Yeah. Uh, and Dwight Evans, who was his good friend, uh, was there. And, and, and 
you know, Buckner didn't really put it on the fans as much as he did the media. Uh, and like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, maybe the media fed, fed into it a bit, but, you know, part of it was the curse, the Red Sox curse and, and the curse of Bambino and how long it had been, and they were finally going to break it, and, and here we go again. Uh, and that play seemed like the play. Like if something was going to go wrong, ah, there it is, right? That's what it was always like for the Red Sox. Well, something's surely going to go wrong, and, and it always did. And he happened to be the one that, that they had never been that close uh, where he made the error. But, you know, certainly, you know, those who know the game, it's far more than any one individual play that costs somebody a championship. The voice of Steve Phillips on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, uh, voice of Sirius XM and Fan House, and, of course, the former GM of the Mets back, uh, I guess it would have been 1997 when you became the GM of the Mets. We'll, we'll have you back on, of course, to talk about, give us your update on Major League Baseball and where we stand but I, I want to ask you about those two guys that I mentioned at the top, Bellinger and Yelich, the the two national leaguers that are just having unbelievable years. Bellinger, 383 at the time of this recording. 57, he's on a pace for 57 homers and 147 RPIs. And, and Yelich, I, I mean, I don't know that I even knew, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't even know that I knew who Yelich was like two two and a half years ago. He's again at 322. He's got all kinds of homers on a pace for 62 and 144. Give us a give us a Steve Phillips thought on those two guys before you you end our conversation today. Yeah, I think it's it's about you know player development and the growth of players. I mean, both of these guys. I mean, Kristen Yelich in 2015 was with the Marlins uh, and he hit seven home runs. The year before that, in his in his first full season, he hit nine home runs. You know, then he had a season of, you know, 156 games, 602 bats. He had 18 home runs. And then last year, 36. You know, and it's, it's the development of a young hitter uh, that can hit for average, that's a good quality hitter who is learning to hit for power. And for Bellinger is the guy who – Bellinger's a guy who was, you know, for, forever uh, a big prospect. His dad was a major leaguer. He burst onto the scene his rookie year and put up big numbers and you know, won the rookie of the year. Then last year, a bit of a down season – but, but he truly has made adjustments and grown and matured. I mean, we've watched – he's such a more mature player. Like last year, he whined a little bit about playing time. He whined a little bit about this. And now it's just he's going to go out and play. But his two-strike approach right now is unbelievable. He's got more walks than strikeouts uh, for, for Bellinger. The other thing for Bellinger, he's on pace for over 20 outfield assists. This year, he has, he's leading the league in outfield wow. assists. Wow! I uh, had two in the game. Had two in the game on Monday. Hit a home run and threw out two base runners. One at the plate, one at third base against the Mets. Uh, and so, you know, when you start looking at WAR, wins above replacement, it will not be a surprise that both these guys are Gold Glove caliber outfielders. Yell at, yell, or Bellinger, by the way, has been clocked as the fastest hitter from home to first base this year. He can fly. He can really run too. So. So, and Yelich can run surprisingly fast as well. These two guys in the entire pack, when you talk about five-tool players, that's what you get. Hit, hit for average, hit for power. They can steal a base, and their speed impacts the game defensively. They're outstanding defenders, and they have tremendous arm strength as well. Both of these guys, five-tool superstars, and translating tools into skills to play the game at the highest level. Crazy stuff. Steve Phillips, Sirius XM fan house, former GM of the Mets, and a good friend of Mitch Unfiltered. Steve, great to have you back on the show. I hope we can visit again soon. Terrific. Thanks very much for having me. Our guy, Steve Phillips, on the life and death of 69-year-old Bill Buckner, known most for that 
infamous moment in the 1986 World Series, but had such a terrific career over 22 years in Major League Baseball, over 2,700 hits, a batting title, an all-star appearance, gold gloves. He should be known for much, much more than that moment in 1986. Want a can't-miss solution to celebrate Father's Day? Take your father to Daniel's Broiler. And to show all the fathers out there how much they care, Daniel's has come up with special Father's Day hours and packages. Both Daniel's Bellevue and Daniel's South Lake Union will serve an extended dinner from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. Daniel's Leshy will have an a la carte brunch from 9.30 to 3 and serve dinner from 4 to 9. And downtown Daniel's at the brand new Hyatt Regency is serving a world-class brunch buffet from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., which is $60 per person for adults and $20 per person for children. Downtown Daniel's will be serving dinner from 5 to 10. Make your Father's Day reservations today by going to danielsbroiler.com. Danielsbroiler.com. Father's Day is special. Treat your dad to a world-class experience at any of the four Daniels Broilers. Happy Father's Day from Daniels Broiler. Unfiltered. The flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Well, Memorial Day weekend has come and gone and joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is a guy who was really good to us in the radio days and now makes his first appearance on Mitch Unfiltered, Darren Urban, who covers the Cardinals. How long have you been covering the Cardinals in one shape or form, Darren? Uh, we're talking 20 years, I guess. 20 uh, years. 2000 was my first full season, yeah. Yeah, and so 15 years have gone by since the death of Pat Tillman, and I thought maybe you could reflect with us a little bit about what it was like to cover him and when he came out of Arizona State, what kind of a guy he was, kind of go back in time to when he became a, an Arizona Cardinal. Well, you know, I, I will say that uh, when Pat first got to the Cardinals, it was, it was a little bit before my time. You know, I, I, I was a, a sports writer in the area. I did cover some things that had Pat involved uh, in them, and, and obviously he was a, a huge hero around here, uh, starting with being at Arizona State and being such a great player there. I mean, he was – he was a member of that uh, team that went to the Rose Bowl and uh, lost barely uh, to Ohio State uh, when Joe Germain hit uh, David Boston for a late touchdown. And had that not happened, given the way the, the rest of that weekend would have played out, uh, Arizona State very well could have been the national champs that year. So that would have been something else on his resume. And then in the following year, while ASU wasn't as good, um, he was clearly a star. Uh, even though he was an undersized linebacker, even though he might not have been athletically uh, what everybody would have wanted it going into the NFL. And that's, you know, once he got to, you know, the league or had a chance to be drafted to be, you know, a seventh round pick that a lot of people weren't sure if he was going to be able to find a role on, on this level. Um, I mean, those were fair questions, uh, but he was a guy who, you know, he didn't let that kind of stuff stop him and, and clearly, he didn't uh, being able to to find a way and 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 make this roster and and become a starting safety um, sooner rather than later just because of in in a lot of ways a sheer force of will. He was a really smart guy. He had a he had a three point eight two grade point average at Arizona State. He graduated in less than four years. As you point out, he was the two hundred twenty sixth pick because he was undersized. But he overcame all that. Did you? 
Uh, did you gather any kind of a sense of his personality when you get the chance to talk to him before games, after games, before practices, after practices, Darren? Oh, there's no question. I mean, you know, Pat was a guy who, um, you know, I, I, he didn't love the spotlight. He didn't love doing a lot of interviews for interview's sake, but he had no problem talking with you. And, you know, and there's a handful of, of times, uh, especially after games, that really resonated uh, with me in terms of, of the kind of person he was. Now, when I was covering him when he was still part of the Cardinals. They, they weren't a very good team. Um, you know, in 2000, I, uh, one of the, uh, the times I really, really remember right at the end of that season, they went to Jacksonville. Uh, the Jaguars were a, a 500 team. The Cardinals were playing out a string. They had had a coaching change in season uh, and they went to Jacksonville and they c- couldn't do anything. They couldn't stop uh, Mark Brunel on that offense at all. I think, I want to say that the Jaguars had eight possessions in that game. They scored on the first seven, and the eighth um, was the last one to run out the clock. And they had it. The, the Jaguars went like 60 yards in eight minutes just to burn out the rest of the clock. And, and the Cardinals couldn't do anything to get off the field. And it was it was pretty brutal. And in the locker room afterwards, Pat was just so angry at just the, the effort level, even though it was the next to last game in a lost season, and he. I remember him telling me and another reporter, you know, we, we just complain all the time. And and sometimes you got to show up it. We got to stop, you know, you got to show the baby. You can't stop bitching about the pain and just show the baby. And that was, that was kind of his attitude. He didn't want to hear that they were, you know, they didn't have enough talent. He didn't want to hear that they went through a coaching change. He wanted the effort and he wanted it to, to show on the field at all times. And then came September the 11th, 2001, Darren, which changed all of our lives, but precious few were courageous enough to do something about it. Do you recall when he made the decision public? I I suppose I read that he was offered some sort of a three-year, $4 million contract from the Cardinals that he turned away to decide to go represent our country and fight for our country. What do you remember about that time when he made that decision and the splash that it made in your hometown? Well, a couple things come to mind when you bring that up. One uh, was legit, uh, literally on uh, 9-11. Uh, it was a Tuesday, so it was an off day uh, at the facility for players. But a lot of times players come in, and as a reporter at the time, uh, I had, you know, being out here in the West, uh, by the time I woke up, both towers were already down, uh, and I was waking up to that on the news, and I – wasn't sure if I was going to be coming over to the facility that day, but I definitely wanted to after that all happened. I came over here. We were sitting in the media room uh, watching the television, basically just watching all the news coverage. And Pat came in. And uh, at the time, the way it was set up, there were a few chairs right in front of the TV, and I was sitting in one of them. And Pat happened to sit next to me. Um, and we were watching it together. And, you know, being a reporter – I, I was like, look, I hate to do this to you, but can I get a comment just to what you're thinking? The Cardinals had had a bye the previous week, uh, and they were supposed to play in Washington, D.C. the following Sunday, which was five days later. So a lot was going on beyond just the, the, uh, the huge tragedy that had gone down. And uh, he was just talking about how worthless he felt as an NFL player right now and how worthless uh, it felt to talk about sports in a time like that. And uh, – 
it was, I, I remember that every single time, you know, anything with Pat comes up is sitting there watching his very visceral reaction to everything that was happening in New York. And, and if you flash forward, um, you know, he, he went and he played that season. The next off season, he did have a chance to sign a contract with the Rams. He had a chance to come back to the Cardinals. Um, he was passing all those up. He was a free agent at the time. Nobody was sure why. And uh, when it came public, Dave McGinnis, the, the head coach at the time, called myself and a couple other reporters over uh, to a, a meeting late one afternoon. We didn't know what it was about. We go into this room. Uh, just the, there was it was Coach McGinnis and the PR guy and then the, us reporters. And he, he like closed the door and everybody started freaking out a little bit. And he let us know that Pat Tillman was joining the army. So I was one of the first people to know outside the organization uh, that he was going to be joining the army. And it was just, it was a real jaw dropper at the time, but not shocking given what, given what you knew about Pat Tillman. And again, I kind of flash back to what he was saying and thinking that day on nine 11 and, and thinking to myself, you know what, if anybody was ever going to do this, it was going to be Pat Tillman. And so did anybody get a chance to visit with Pat after he had made the decision before he, uh, he went through training and went, went into the army? No, he, Pat was the kind of guy that he wasn't going to do any interviews. He, he did say, I happened to be in the inner, uh, the media room when he came by, uh, to say goodbye to a lot of people at the, at the Cardinals, um, one final time. And he walked and he was talking to some of the PR people and it came through and we were able to say, congratulations and good luck. And um, another reporter happened to say, Hey, if you ever want to do an interview, we're right here. And he kind of smiled and he's like, yeah, that's not going to happen, but thanks. And, uh, and that was basically it. And uh, you know, we even had a chance. He happened to the, the following year. Um, he was based in Seattle after his first tour in the middle East. And uh, he happened to come visit the team and the coaches on a game day uh, when they played the Seahawks. Um, at the end of the 2003 season. And he actually stayed in the hotel and he talked with the team a little bit in the post-game locker room, although they did not let the media in until after Pat slipped out. So we couldn't talk to him then. And uh, that was the last time that a lot of the Cardinal people got a chance to talk to him because he soon after uh, re-enlisted for a second tour in the Middle East. And then, of course, he lost his life a few months later. We'll get to that in a moment. We're with Darren Urban. This is the voice of Darren Urban on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. We're reflecting upon the life of Pat Tillman as Memorial Day came and went, Memorial Day weekend. His brother, younger brother, I believe, enlisted with him, right? He was a baseball player and was drafted out of college, played at Arizona State, and uh, was in, I think, the Cleveland Indians organization at the time. Right, Darren? Yeah, that's correct. And and they were very close, and they, they did uh, spend time together and and. Uh, his brother was actually there the day that, that Pat lost his life. He was a little bit further behind in the convoy uh, that they were in. And uh, it, it's just, it, you know, that, that family, those brothers were very close. Um, you know, that was something when Pat decided to join the military and his brother decided to go with him. Again, it was something that, uh, that was very important to the Tillmans and, um, you know, it was a it was a great story about these these guys that were willing to to do what they did for their country, uh, and to have it end so horribly is just it's it's a sad thing, obviously. But 
Um, but yeah, his brother was there and, and his brother was a part of it. And then came that day that you got the news. Now it was a long time thereafter until we find out what really happened. But I can imagine as the nation mourned the, the news of the passing of Pat Tillman, I can't even imagine, maybe you can describe in your words, Darren, what it was like in the desert, what it was like in the Phoenix area when news came out. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, the, the day the news came out was a Friday and it happened to be late April. And in those days, the NFL draft was still Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and this was the Friday before the draft of 2004. So there was a lot of stuff going on with the NFL anyways. Uh, and I remember being at home. Uh, I had a, a, a very young infant son and my wife. We were up uh, getting breakfast and stuff. And I got a phone call from a, a local TV producer asking me if I had heard anything about Pat Tillman getting killed. And at that point I had not. Uh, and obviously the news started coming out very quickly uh, and it came over to the facility and, and it was just here. Obviously it was very difficult. You still had a lot of people around here who uh, not only worked with Pat, but were close with Pat from his years playing here. Uh, and it was difficult for some players, for some front office people Um and, but it was also kind of weird because at the time they had just changed head coaches and Dennis Green was the head coach who didn't have any connection to Pat. And, and Denny almost felt a little, looked a little lost because of all this, you know, all the sadness that was here. And, and he really wasn't part of that because he didn't know Pat compared to most of the other people in the building. So um, it, was, it was a crushing thing for a lot of things in this organization. And then, like you said, uh, in the Valley for him having to play not only with the Cardinals, but with ASU uh, and, and to have something like that happen. It was, uh, it, it, it was just, it, it really was a, a gut punch to uh, this entire, uh, you know, area. And uh, everybody didn't know what to say. And like you said, you, nobody knew the details at that point, the true details uh, at that point, they just, we just all knew that uh, we had lost somebody who, uh, you know, had done so much for this country already and, and to senselessly lose his life. It just, it's hard to imagine. Darren Urban in Phoenix telling us the story and reflecting on the life, uh, the heroic life of Pat Tillman after this Memorial Day weekend has come and gone. Uh, finish up with his memory. Uh, his memory is a blessing, as we all like to say. How often are we reminded, are you guys reminded of Pat Tillman in, in your region, in your area, how often, uh, I'm assuming this time of year, is a, an appropriate time to remember Pat Tillman? Yeah, I mean, I think if you have any kind of uh, holiday that when people start talking about uh, veterans, whether it's Veterans Day or Fourth of July or Memorial Day, it's, or, or then, uh, you know, the anniversary of his death, I mean, any of these things, it's hard not to be thinking of Pat. I mean, uh, you know, around the Cardinals, uh, there's a statue of Pat Tillman outside State Farm Stadium in Glendale. Um, uh, here at the, at the Cardinals facility, his old locker from the, the practice facility, they renovated a few years ago, but they saved his locker and uh, they put it in the side so that players on a daily basis as they walk through uh, see this, this locker of, of, of Pat and um, has a, a couple of pieces of, of, you know, apparel that he had that are in that, in that old locker that, so you're always reminded of that. And, and I, I just think if you say the name Pat Tillman anywhere around the Valley, uh, you know, people have warm feelings about a guy who was well-spoken and, uh, you know, was a smart guy and 
wanted to learn more about the world in, in every respect. And, uh, and again, uh, unfortunately lost his life in a, in a, in a way it shouldn't have been lost. Yeah. Just an amazing story of an amazing man to turn away the millions and millions and, and the popularity and everything that went along with life in the national football league to walk away with his brother enlist in the army and go protect the country, fight for the country, give up what he had to do that. I know there's lots and lots and lots and lots. Millions of stories are like that. This one just happens to be one that's in our face as sports fans. And Darren, I appreciate you reflecting and telling us a little bit about more about the Pat Tillman story that we didn't already know. Thanks so very much. I appreciate it, Mitch. Thank you. There he is, Darren Urban in Phoenix on the life, the courageous, the tragic, the heroic life of Pat Tillman. When was the last time you took a look at your mortgage, the interest rate you're paying, etc.? 30-year fixed rates are in the low 4% at the moment, which means if you're in the high fours or higher than that, then you're definitely missing out on an opportunity to save some serious money every single month. Enter Jordan Flowers and his Guild Mortgage team in Kirkland. The 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction was Guild Mortgage. They'll set the payoff schedule to the amount of months that you're already into your loan so you don't lose any time on the payoff, but you have the big savings from reamortizing. On top of that, because of appreciation of your home, if you've got mortgage insurance, you could look to remove that and you'd have big monthly savings lowering the interest rate. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage has three loan officers that are in the top 1% in the United States, and they're huge fans of Mitch Unfiltered, so make sure that you mention Mitch Unfiltered to them when you call. And here's the phone number to call to see if there's any savings available to you. 425-250-3150. Again, call 425-250-3150. You can ask for Jordan or somebody on his team, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Unfiltered. Third down and hit from behind is Cutler, and that's a live football. Hit by Gerald McCoy. can't find it. He wants third down and four. And he is taken down by Gerald McCoy, who is heading to his sixth consecutive Pro Bowl. There's no offseason in the National Football League, of course. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline from Tampa, he's covered the Bucks for a long time. He's now with the Athletic is Greg Amon. And Greg, Gerald McCoy, everybody seems to want him. The Bucks, I guess, kind of wanted him, but not at $13 million. Let's start right there. What kind of player is he now approaching, what, 31 years of age? We all know how great of a player he was five years ago. Is he 80% of that, 90% of that? What's your estimation on that? Yeah, it's hard to put a number, but that sounds about right. 80%, which you know, 80% of what he was is still a pretty good player. Um, you know, we'll get sacks. We'll, we'll definitely draw attention away from the rest of the defense. This, he's a guy that, that opposing coordinators have to kind of game plan against. That means double teams. It means extra attention. Um, last year was the first time in seven years he didn't make a Pro Bowl. So obviously his goal um, will be very motivated to kind of get back to that level wherever he lands. Better against the run or better in pass pressure? Uh, both 
solid against the run, sturdy. I mean, and he's, he's not a huge guy. He's a three-tech, so, I mean, he's a smaller defensive tackle. Um, would probably be an end in a 3-4 if he goes there. That's what he would have been here. Uh, but, no, just solid all around. I mean, that doesn't have a huge number of tackles, but, you know, has played uh, a large amount of snaps. I think he had 90% one year, probably had about 70% this past year, but, but still on the field a lot. So tell me this. Obviously, Tampa tried to trade him before they released him to get some compensation for him. And there's a number of teams, Greg, that have lined up now to look at him now that he's a free agent. Why wouldn't a team that, say, is willing to pay him $11 million for this coming season, why wouldn't that team just have traded Tampa something for him and picked him up for $13 million so that they didn't have to compete with all these other teams for his services? I don't get that. Yeah, no, it's a good question, and I, I didn't expect him to draw as much as eleven. Like, I think the thought here was, you know, the Bucks might try and keep him lower, like at eight or something like that. Um, and yeah, if he does get 11, you're right. I mean, it, especially, I mean, the Bucks late in the game here, I think would have taken a seventh round pick, a pick swap, anything to get something of consequence for a guy they knew they had to let go. So it'll be surprising. I mean, this, this first wave of interest is, is showing up as high as 11 million. If that's what he takes, I think he might very well take less than that just to get in the right situation. I mean, McCoy's played nine years in the NFL has never had a playoff game. So I, I think where he goes probably starts with having a team that has a real chance to play in the postseason. You think Seattle's a team that fits the bill? Well, Seattle, what, we, we talked to our Seattle writer, and he lined up a lot of the reasons why. Um, you know, I think Indianapolis makes a ton of sense. They have cap room. They have a positional need. They're certainly seen as a likely playoff team. It could be in the division. I mean, I've seen the Saints, the Panthers, and the Falcons all mentioned as options. I think part of the reason the Bucks wanted to trade him is just that you can control where he goes. Right, right. Um, you see Cleveland pop up as an option now. And, and that would have been great for the Bucks, just because you take him in the AFC, you're not going to see him, but once every four years, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I don't think they want a motivated Gerald McCoy on their schedule twice each year. Is he a one-year contract guy, or is he looking for multiple years with a signing bonus and guarantees and all that, Greg? I don't know what he wants. Usually this time of year, you're taking one year and giving yourself a chance to reset yourself on the open market a year from now. I mean, he's he's 31, but I think if he played well, got back to a Pro Bowl level, he could get a lot more on the open market uh, next March than he can now when a lot of teams have spent most of their budget and don't have as much to, to throw at a guy who comes into the, the process pretty late in the game. What's your opinion on what the Bucks have done here? They've essentially released a guy that was set to make $13 million and they used that money to get Indomitian Sue and some other players in there. Do you like Do you like the strategy of what the Bucks have done to build the roster for 19, Greg? Well, I'm, I like that they're trying and they're being active. I, I think the worst thing you can do if you're trying to turn things around is, is not make changes and hope. You know, it looked like a lot of this offseason, like their attitude might be, keeping almost always the same personnel and just trusting that the coaches um, would be good enough to get different results. So I do think um, some of this has changed for change's sake. I mean, McCoy was well-liked here in Tampa, um, did a ton in the community, obviously was probably the most decorated player, um, but he's been the central part of a defense that hasn't been good enough to get to the playoffs for nine years. Um, that's not because of him. It's kind of despite him. But I think if you're trying to change the locker room, you're trying to change the culture of a team, uh, trading out, you know, a huge central key piece of your defense uh, for a guy who who has won better than McCoy has, who has been at the Super Bowl this past year, um, 
I think that's, that's the kind of move you have to make if you're trying to make a change. But we're not sure whether Sue is the same football player at this point of his career as McCoy is, or do you think they're a wash? It's close. If you look at last year, I mean, I think Sue was more productive last year, but it's kind of nice to have Aaron Donald lining up next to you. So that explains, you know, he, <laughs> he had about 30 more tackles than McCoy did. Um, about the same in terms of pressure, in terms of sacks. Um, I think they're both, like you said, probably not the player they were five years ago, but can both still play at a Pro Bowl level, I think. Do you have to be careful the team that signs McCoy at this age, and maybe this is an obvious question. I'm, I'm known for obvious questions, Greg. Uh, <laughs> do you have to be careful on how many snaps you use him? Do you rotate him? Did he, did he play less and less snaps for the Buccaneers as the years went on? You know, I think the design was to get him less. It's hard to get him off the field. So, I mean, I think he's, um, you know, he had a reputation early in his career of being hurt. He missed about the second half of his first two years. I think he's missed five games total in the last four years, has played through a lot of injuries. Um, so I think it suits him like any big man. I think it suits him better to give 70% of snaps than 85 or 90. I mean, there's some guys, I think Sue played 88% of the snaps last year for, for the Rams. Um, and there's some guys that are so well-conditioned that you can still be getting fresh legs from them in the fourth quarter. You want guys that can get to the quarterback late in the game and close out a win for you. So if, if playing him 70% helps him be that guy, I would think that's a good strategy. Well, 80% of what Gerald McCoy once was is still a very, very good football player and a football player that could help a lot of teams. So I guess that's why all the teams are lined up. What we don't know is this this kind of game of charades. We don't know whether any of these teams are willing to give him the $11 million. Maybe that's his people that are floating that number. Who knows what, what everybody right. is willing to give him. We'll have to let the smoke settle and see where he lands and for how much, and then we'll get a sense of how realistic all this talk has been. But uh, we'll see. I know here in Seattle in the Northwest, they're still looking for interior defensive linemen. They're still looking for pass pressure and somebody can get to the quarterback. And they, uh, you know, they signed Ziggy Ansah and Gerald McCoy would, I think, go, go well on a revamped defensive line next to Ansa. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. Greg Allman in Tampa for The Athletic. You can follow him at Greg Allman. That's G-R-E-G-A-U-M-E-N if we have any Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans here in the uh, in the Northwest. Greg, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. It's good to have you on the podcast, and I hope we can call upon you again sometime. Oh, no, thanks for having me, and looking forward to, to getting up to Seattle this fall with the team. The voice of Greg Allman of The Athletic in Tampa on Gerald McCoy. Boy, would I like to see McCoy in a Seahawks uniform lining up next to Reed next to Ziggy with Bobby Wagner behind. I might get excited for that Seahawks defense, even though a little concerned about some of the, the cornerbacks on this team. I'm super lucky to have a partner like Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, managing over $2 billion in assets, the 2018 fastest-growing wealth manager named by the Puget Sound Business Journal. Tyler, by the way, is one of the 40 under 40, and in 2018, the Financial Times named them, Evergreen Golf Call, one of the top advisors in America. Headquartered in Bellevue, but with offices in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley, unlike stockbrokers, Evergreen is a fee-only advisor, no hidden fees or commissions. Check them out evergreengolfcall.com sign up for their newsletter 10,000 readers or take a listen to the new podcast on wealth management called the evergreen exchange 
we are indebted to Evergreen Golf Call for being a partner on Mitch Unfiltered. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. All right, final segment, episode 41. Mm-hmm. I do want to remind our listeners that we've got the big special Daniels Broiler dinner right. with you and me. You're going to be there, I'll be right? There. Yeah. We'll do Q&A. We'll have a lot of fun, the best meal in town. I'm going to take a section of our guests golfing with me, mm. do a little golf outing yeah. at what I think you and I both agree is the best golf course in the state of Washington. We're going to have That's a right. great time, and we've got loads of seats still available. They're not moving that fast so if you'd like to join us we would love to have you you just go to mitchunfiltered.com and click on u.s open dinner or special dinner at daniel's Broiler right. across the top and make uh make your reservation reserve your seat now i know this was big news a week ago and sometimes i feel like on these patron episodes that we need to repeat certain topics not all mostly not mm-hmm. but in this case i think the jaden mcdaniel story is an interesting one you're the voice of the university of washington huskies or one of the voices mm-hmm. of husky basketball this is a big 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 story for mike hopkins in the uw jaden mcdaniel's federal way right 69 610 yeah. yeah. really lean uh, maybe you said kevin durant yeah. in the uh, in the last episode talk about what this means and you know how I feel about this what this means how big of a story and what this means to you McDaniel staying home to play at Washington well I mean assuming that Jalen Noel is not returning which he's not returning no plus losing four seniors there's a lot of productivity that needs to be replaced right not not just scoring but rebounding and shot blocking and defense and all that good stuff and you know with the returning guys that Washington had there's a good core of veteran young guys that have played significant minutes that are going to step into some roles and it's going to be really interesting. But um, Isaiah Stewart, who Washington was able to sign here in the spring and who committed early, um, he's going to provide a lot in the middle and has that high motor. But they also needed some additional help. And the fact they had uh, the availability or still were in the hunt with Jaden McDaniels it really came down to Kentucky and Washington. And I, I think I told you, and I mentioned in the last episode, I thought with no insider information, I thought he was leaning Kentucky and that it was going to be a, a disappointment for Washington fans to, to see a They're local finish kid. second. Yeah. And we've seen this movie before. Yes, we have. So I, I was really nervous about it, but really excited for the prospect. Right. Of him coming to Washington. And, right. And he announced uh, via Twitter or IG late one night that, he, in fact, was coming to Washington. And, and so signed. now they have two of the top, let's say, six players yeah. in high school basketball. Yeah. Now, this is not Penny Hardaway's class at no. Memphis, but this is one of the top ten classes yes. in America, and they're going to have two, as di- as Dick Vitale would say, diaper dandies, baby, yeah. right? Um, and they're going to have all these guys returning, and you can you can go through. We got The other thing is they've got Quade, Quade Green, Green, who transferred from Kentucky and was a McDonald's. He was a top 25 That's player right. in his class. That's he right. won't be able to play until the beginning of January, the second yeah, semester. You know, yeah. the kind of the conference play, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he, he might be there for a little earlier than that. A little December, earlier than yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my thought is, in terms of interest, this will be – one of the most interesting Washington teams to kind of anticipate. The anticipation sure. of watching these young guys along with the returners 
you know, get on the court for Mike Hopkins. I think it's going to be tremendously exciting to count the de- count down the days until Washington basketball. Yep. And it's going to be fascinating to watch the development and how quickly he can get them playing together and playing like Kyle. I, there's no question about 100%. that. Whether this team will ultimately be the most successful team in Washington history, I would bet a lot of money against. Sure. I don't even know what team that is. A sweet maybe 53 it's your final four, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not even talking about that. In yeah. recent history. Yeah, uh, yeah I, is this a team, a, is this an Elite Eight team, a Final Four team? I would bet lots of money against that, especially with Jalen Noel mm-hmm. not coming back. But I think the bigger story, and this is not, you don't need a Harvard degree to figure this out. And this is what I said on the last episode. I think the story here is that there was one box in his short time here that Mike Hopkins, well, two boxes. One would say final four next to it. So he hasn't checked that box. But in terms of his accomplishments since coming over from Syracuse, he's taken him to the NCAA tournament. He's turned the program around. He's won the Pac-12 Coach of, the Coach of the year two years in a row. He's two for two. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's a thousand. Yeah. Right. He's he's done. He's taken him to the NCAA tournament. Right. He's done all these things. I guess he hasn't won a Pac-12 tournament title. No, but a regular season. He's championship. won a regular season championship. Mm-hmm. So Mike Hopkins in such a short period of time, and he's brought in when he when he signed Isaiah Stewart, he checked that box in, which was top five player national national kind of player of the year type of guy so he checked that box Mm -hmm. so there was one box that's an awfully important box that he wasn't really given an opportunity to check just yet because he's only been here a short time and there hasn't been in his two years unless you correct me a player that's a top five or seven talent in the country that happened to also be from the seattle area This was the first chance for him to check that box. Correct. And to me, that's a huge box to check. And my guess is Stewart will be one and done. Uh, certainly McDaniels will be one and done. Maybe even Quade Green will be gone after the – who knows? Mm-hmm. And they probably won't as a team go to the Final Four or go to the Elite Eight. They'll have some success. They'll have some 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 growing pains along the way. But that to me, the story is that box. Mm-hmm. A top five or seven player in the country was in Federal Way, Washington, who John Calipari was flying back and forth on his private jet and getting into that living room and everybody else, Tom Mizzo and Mike Shashet, he could have gone to any place and every big name college program was after him. Every single one of them. And Mike Hopkins kept that top five or six player here in the Pacific. To me... That's what this is all about. Yeah. That's what this story is all about. And I don't know. You could probably tell me, maybe you can't, who the next kid is. Is there somebody in a sophomore class or a junior class or a freshman class? Somebody saw, somebody who knows Jaden McDaniels and is playing AAU basketball and sees him from time to time and looks up to Jaden McDaniels. Somebody saw this decision and went, whoa, mm-hmm. he's going to watch. Somebody so the chances of getting that somebody, whoever yeah. that is, just grew exponentially with the the recruitment of Jaden McDaniels. Yeah, I don't know who that guy there's is. There's a sophomore at O'Day, okay. Paul Van Carroll. That's that's um, you know he's he's one of those kids that's that's on everybody's radar, right? And he'll he's got a couple of parents that are UW alums, and you know you just you just don't know. He's gonna he's gonna be 
getting a full court press from the Kansases and the Dukes and Kentuckys, I'm sure as well. So you know that's that's part of recruiting. You, you, but it helps when you get a local kid. The first one's always the most says, difficult, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, to absolutely. get one kid to do that. Yeah. So yeah. A couple of other quick notes. Yeah. It was announced today that um, Washington is playing. Tennessee. Yes, I'm glad you pointed that Toronto, out. In Toronto. Yes, yes. In the Naismith Classic, which is going to be exciting. They are also previously announced they are playing in the Diamond Head Classic over Christmas. So a couple of national television opportunities for the Huskies. And there's a, a few others Quadrant on the schedule. Quadrant one, baby. Quadrant we need yeah. a, We need quadrant Obviously one victories. Obviously, Gonzaga's on the schedule. We need some um, one. We need some tier one victories, man. <laughs> NT rankings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the last little bit, uh, C.J. Ellerby, Washington State. The freshman who had an unbelievable freshman season for the Cougars tested the draft waters. He announced that he was going back to uh, to to Washington State for his sophomore That's good for year. Them. Very good for them, as well as Noah Williams, who was an O'Day senior that signed with Buffalo. And once that coaching transition happened, he is now at Washington State as well. So it's interesting to see those guys, uh, you know, pick up a couple of kids. While you're on that topic, did you see the story of R.J. Hampton, one of the top five players, a guard? a guard with the ball in his hands that was supposed to go to Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, made a decision on the day that we're recording Tuesday uh, to bypass college basketball altogether. He says, you know what? I never dreamed of playing college. This was his quote. I never dreamed of playing college basketball. And all I care about is playing in the NBA. So I'm going to go to New Zealand and I'm going to play in the Australian Basketball League. Yeah. And then in a year from now, I'm going to go to the NBA. Now, this is not the first guy to do it. Brandon Jennings did it. Uh, the guy that was supposed to go to Syracuse, you may not remember, a guy named Darius Baisley decided he was going to play in the D League or the mm-hmm. G League or whatever they call yeah. that, uh, and he wasn't going to go. He wasn't going to go to college. And so the one difference they're making about this guy that's different from others, this is a really smart – this is a guy who academically, 3.7 GPA, 1250 on his SATs, really smart kid, has just no desire to play college basketball, and he feels like this is the route to take him to the NBA. So two quick observations about that that I think are really, really interesting. One, that you have a kid that says college was never my my aspiration. That's just a fundamental shift to me. Thank you. It's unreal. It means I'm getting old. One that, shining moment. Yes. That, you know, I, somebody on Twitter made fun of me that said I was becoming the get off my lawn guy. I'm yeah. yelling at clouds. Becoming or became. And that's what I said. I said, I've, <laughs> I've already, I've, I've already become that guy. So he, the guy won't have a burger at, uh, at Red right. Robin. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I also think that for players of his caliber that we're, there's a chance that we're going to see this more often until the rule is changed, which it's going to change. So maybe in the next year or two. But specifically, I'm surprised that other players who have done this have not done what he's doing, which is go to Australia. One of the hardest things for well, where guys, did Brandon Jennings go? Uh, I want to say it's Brandon Jennings. Yeah, I got the right guy. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Supposed I to go to say Arizona, Greece, or Italy. So you're saying. They should go to they should go to Australia. I'm surprised more people don't go to Australia. Really? Why? English speaking. Yeah. More like America. So the transition from the US to Australia is less jarring. What what really hurts guys, really talented players. Not I'm not talking about kids now. I'm not talking about high school kids. I'm talking about guys that can make it overseas. A lot of times what stops guys' careers is not the fact that they can't get on a team or score or make money. It's that they cannot live in a foreign country. But does that get them ready? And this is the question that a lot of college coaches like. 
I just remember, you know, Bayheim when he lost that player this year to the G League. Mm-hmm. He he was just if you caught him in a private moment, I and I saw some interviews, he was just kind of dismissive of, you know, he he's making a mistake. The kid is making a mistake. Mm-hmm. He's not physically ready to play with the G the G League or the D League guys yeah. are big and they're tough and they're mature hungry. and hungry. And he's just not he, yeah. the best way for him to go to the NBA is to play college basketball. And I'm sure he would say the same thing about this kid who's going on. The best way to get ready for the NBA is to play college basketball basketball is that not the is that true or does it depend on the situation i mean is this kid making the right cho- he's going to make a million bucks they say he's going to make a million bucks playing in australia or something yeah, like that I, well i've what i've heard i've heard a lot of people make the argument that he's hurting his brand you know you think about a guy like zion mm-hmm. williamson who took college by storm right and a hundred million dollar shoe contract right. and you know number one pick likely number one pick here in a couple of weeks he won't get that kind of attention, the spotlight that is ESPN and Fox Sports and all of that stuff that's going to create his brand. That the only people that are really going to be keeping tabs on him or know what he's doing NBA is NBA personnel. Right. Yeah. Which is the only people that Matter. need to. Yeah. That's it. He yeah. doesn't care. I mean, he doesn't care. He cares about the fact that. But he's how about going to the basketball? Money. How about the basketball? The basketball is going to be good quality basketball. The the Australian is did- it too good for him? Should he be playing? No. Should he be playing he's college gonna basketball? Struggle. He's going to struggle. He's going to grow. He's going to do the things that. So why don't more kids do this? Uh, again, I, that's why I think it's interesting that he went to Australia. Yeah, I think it's a smarter move if you're going to go that route. But you know, here in a year or two, it's not going to matter because they're, they're going to they're going to the, they're, they're going to go take, to the pros. Yeah, they're going to take that that rule away. All right. Okay, that's it. Episode 41. Except that's for it. the naming. Yeah, I, I'm not having that much of a problem. I like Dirk Nowitzki a lot. Yeah. Uh, again, maybe this is a function of my age and mm-hmm. remembering Tom Seaver. Mm-hmm. Guy won three Cy Youngs. Guy th- struck out 3,200, 3,200 batters. Mm-hmm. There it is. Um, you know, Tom Terrific. I, I don't, I, I, to me, maybe I'm just too old for Nowitzki. If Nowitzki was my youth, maybe I would have done the mm-hmm. opposite. But this is episode Tom Terrific. It's episode Tom Terrific. And I want to go back and say this to you. Someday you should go back and watch All in the Family. I want to, I'm going to circle back, not to the hamburger, not to National Hamburger Day. I want to circle back to what we started with, kind of wrap this whole thing up. And I wasn't even going to do this, but this is off the top of my head. The most recent live edition? No. Oh, no. just the show. I was disappointed. I didn't give you my viewpoint. I, I was disappointed in All in the Family, mm-hmm. the remake. I thought the Jeffersons was better. I thought Jamie Foxx as George Jefferson was better. Mm-hmm. I was not enthralled with Woody uh, Harrelson. Harrelson's performance as Archie Bunker. Uh, I thought Marissa Tomei as Edith was great. Mm. It was a great impersonation, what have you. Uh, but I would just say to you and anybody listening, and nobody's going to do this, so I don't even know why I'm saying this. All in the Family was one of the most important mm. television shows of our lifetime. And the performance, and I've said this a million times on the old radio show, and I think I've even said it on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah. The performance by Carol O'Connor is not only, in my estimation, in my 52 years on the planet, the best TV performance, it's not even, whoever is number two, it's like, they're a, it's like it was like when Tiger Woods was in his prime and he was winning every major, yeah. he was number one in the world. I think David Duvall was number two, yeah. but the difference between one and two was like the difference between two and like 
140 in the in yeah, the actual the ratings. Rankings, yeah. Carol O'Connor's performance as Archie Bunker during the 1970s when things were changing, and he played this the, the most famous bigot in the history of movies or sure. television, and he was able to do it in a way where you laughed at him, you hated him, you he was. But you loved him too. There was something yeah. about he could do this at the end of the show, and you'd walk away going, "God, that guy is a despicable human being." Yeah. But I love that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. He did it in such a way. He, he and I can't articulate it better than that. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just an all. If you like all world performances in sports or theater or writing or history, whatever it is that you if you if you get off on all world performances, this was a performance of a generation. Mm-hmm. And you got if you're too young to really remember all in the family, go back and watch it. It's as funny today as it was back then. And most shows can't say that. Sure. Most shows they get to about 25 years later and you're like, that was funny. That wasn't even funny. Yeah. This thing is maybe funnier today than it was. And his his effort was just off the charts incredible. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. So that's okay. it was Michael Jordan. It was Michael Jordan. It was Tiger Woods. Use whatever yeah. sports analogy you want. All right? Yeah. Uh can I take us out? You got yeah. anything left? You got yeah. you, when's the next Go burger? What's the burger you're gonna have? Go for it. Uh, I want to taste one of the ones that you cook on. Oh, you do? Must be really, really good. Top notch. Yeah. Uh, episode Tom Seaver mm-hmm. is in the books.